Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Redding, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And sometimes we're wrong about being first as well. Welcome to another magazine show where you br- where we bring you top voices from around the world or just whoever is available and willing to chat with us. This week, though, we have hit the jackpot. We are going to Beijing to catch up with our China F1 correspondent to find out how China is treating their F1 representative, Guan Yu Zhou. We get to chat to a real F1 comms officer, Matt Bishop, who is currently in charge of all the social media and communications at Aston Martin. But first, we go to America and catch up with one of the foremost voices in American F1 podcasting. It's Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Hey there, Spanners. Ah, but I don't really mean you. No, there is another. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is America's fairest of them all? Is it Matt Trumpets? No, the mirror says. It's another, the host of chart-busting US F1 podcast, The Ringer F1. It's Kevin Clark joining us today. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Spanners. Hello, Matt. How are you? Uh, we're very good. But listen here, Kev, K-Dog, Clarky boy. It's rare. That <laughs> I, it's rare. I'm being confrontational. It's rare that I acknowledge another F1 podcast even exists, let alone recommend one. But I think it is fair to say that the Ringer F1 has been a launch pad, kind of gateway drug for many US F1 fans. 
I, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I think that I've probably listened to you guys more than any other F1 pod over the past, I'd say, three, four years um, whenever I started watching the sport. And so it is like even listening to that, that theme song and, and knowing I was going to be the guest is, is a real thrill, truly. Oh, that's very kind. But your your background isn't Formula One. I've you know I see no. you on the internet. You're there with all the football <laughs> and the grunting and the NFL and the stuff <laughs> and the screaming. Um, what's your kind of uh, F1 origin story? Which was in yeah. fact a question from our listener Sean. Yeah, so um, it's a great question. So I, I wrote about this a couple of years ago when I wrote the first piece about the Netflix show. I got into it before the Netflix show, um, but I don't. I mean, you and I have talked about this. I don't begrudge anyone who got in through it. Through no, Netflix but but you did feel the need to specifically clarify that you got in. Yeah, before, just timeline you? wise. Timeline wise, <laughs> I mean, there are so many people who got into it for the reality TV show aspect and are now, you know, deep in the weeds of understanding the tech part of it. And, and so I don't think how you got into it in America is necessarily. Um, I, I don't think that that suggests anything about your level of fandom because there's some people I know who say I never watched a car race until 2018. I saw that, you know, I saw. I, I saw Daniel Ricardo without his shirt off, and now I'm, I know everything about rear wings. Like that, 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 that's fine. It's a totally fine <laughs> origin story. Um, but I got into it. It's as kind of a strange way to start a story. Um, just, just go with me. Uh, my wife and I got hit by a car um, okay. walking down the street. And in that's sunset, all we've on, got on, time for. On, no. sunset, on Sunset Boulevard in, uh, I think it was 2017. It was 2017, and the injuries weren't that bad. Like it was, it was a totally harrowing experience. Um, went to the hospital for a little bit, but the injuries weren't that bad. But I had nothing to do while recovering from this. Nothing. It was the dead of summer. I think it was July. I hate baseball. It's the most boring sport in the world. There was no sports to watch. My work Have would you not seen let... cricket? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't, um, don't worry about but... it. You're not, you're not really missing too much, Kev. You're okay. Stick to F1. So <laughs> the Ringer Cricket Show would probably not uh, be a huge phenomenon. Oh, my God. would not be chart busting. This thing takes five days? <laughs> So uh, my work would not, we're just like, you, you, you stay at home for weeks, get better, all that stuff. I was waking up at weird times, and I saw a practice session of F1. And I, at this point, like anybody, knew who Lewis Hamilton was, knew who Sebastian Vettel was, probably knew the best teams at that point. But, you know, I probably did not know who Daniel Ricciardo was then. And actually, mm. oddly enough, Ricciardo was the first driver I ever saw, kind of returned, returned after uh, I, one of his, his, his practice laps. And they kind of did the whole, you know, oh, he's so happy, he's smiling, kind of the whole thing that, that everybody does around Ricciardo, just about how happy he was to be in F1. Um, and I noticed I just liked everything about it. I mean, at, at the most basic level spanners, it's the travel show, right? Um, like you can just go, Oh, I'd like to be in Barcelona this week. I'd like to be in, in Monaco this week. I'd like to be in, you know, whatever it is, Silverstone. Hey, I'd love to be in England. Um, and you can get into it that way, or you can get into the competitive aspect. Like I'm wired to love the competition part of it. There's a, there's a line in Ross Braun's book that I think about a lot where he says that if you took the car that wins the first race in some years, that car might finish last in the last race of the year. And I don't even know how true that is, um, especially with some of the teams that have been dead last in the last couple of years. But when you think about every single race is some of the smartest people in the world trying to problem solve. That's not a million miles away from anything that, that I love about football, the team building aspect of it, how things work. I mean, it's, it's puzzles, right? It's puzzles. It's how do we do this? I mean, you yeah. look at Mercedes. A year ago, the unquestioned masters of the universe, they can't figure out anything this year. Everything works for like one session 
And that's what's amazing about F1 is that you can be left behind so quickly. And that's what I love about, about American, so the American sports that I love is that it's, it's the most competitive thing on the planet. And even within that, even within the sports realm, you're looking at some of the smartest people. I mean, some of these team principals, it's not like if they left, they would go be team principal somewhere else. They might be CEO of a motor company. They might be CEO of a racing yeah. company or a car company or even a data company. They can do whatever. These are some of the smartest people in the world trying to outsmart each other. And that's what I loved about it. And I just became obsessed almost immediately, Spanners. Well, do you know, that's really interesting to hear. First of all, Ross Braun could not have predicted the Sorokin-Williams matchup when saying that the championship <laughs> winning car would all, would, you know, might finish last. But I'm really glad to hear, quote unquote, newer fans able to kind of have that kind of instant uh, attraction to the sport. You know, I've loved since yeah. I was eight years old because I've almost felt like I've had to justify to myself my F1 fandom when things can sometimes yeah. move so slowly and I've kind of like I've said to Matt many times that I feel like Formula One it's not really a competition over a day or a race or even a season you, it's a career game and you watch a driver progress from start to finish you watch whole eras play out and yeah. you kind of summarize those and so I was a little bit worried when we had this big influx of fans I'm almost apologetic to them, I'm almost kind of like, no, 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 hang on, j j watch it all play out, I promise. And, you know, and Matt, this is something, you know, I've discussed with you many times. Yeah, it, it is. It, it can be hard when you're, when every race seems like the entirety of all the data you've ever consumed <laughs> to understand how, <laughs> like, we're barely getting started. We haven't even seen a lot of representative tracks. Like, for example, in this season. Yeah, I know. There's so many street circuits. I keep trying. Anyone who listen, um, I'm telling them this is not a normal F1 calendar. Six street tracks and and Bahrain and Barcelona and Imola being the only normal tracks in the calendar so far is not representative of what uh, we might expect from from Formula One. Uh, but, but it's um, to, get, to go back to Kev, though, you know, you've been able to see it adopt it, embrace it into your heart. And in America, your sports are much more glamorous and much more on the nose, perhaps from a publicity entertainment point of view. Liberty Media, an American firm, came in to take over an essentially European sport, arguably, and said every single race should be like a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was alarming and, and frightening is it working out? Because you, you've kind of become a fan before the transition. You've seen you people. Yeah, that's right. You people <laughs> take over and try and make every race a Super Bowl. I, I see what they're going for. Every race does yeah. need to be exciting. They feel the pressure. If it isn't, how do you feel that's going? It's going great. Uh, so let's start with the fact that between – I actually disagree. I think, I think Formula One is more glamorous than most American sports. Michael Jordan is showing up some places, but he's not sh he's showing up at F1 and he's being embraced and he's there with David Beckham and Tom Brady and, and LeBron James was in Monaco. Um, these guys want to be there. Jerry Jones, who's one of the most famous sports figures in America, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, sort yeah. of the epitome of American billionaire glamour, um, was, was doing the grid walk at Monaco. So these guys want to be there. And listen, maybe it's a grass always greener thing. Maybe F1 and European fans will think that the NFL is more glamorous and NFL and NBA people think F1 is, is, is more glamorous. Remember, it's something we talked about on my show. Uh, like, you know, we only get the best bits of, of European culture. 
right? Like we don't get the worst part of it and you only get the best part of American sports. You're only seeing highlights of like the, ab- you're not seeing a random Cleveland versus Detroit game, you know, preseason game in August. You're only seeing like Patrick Mahomes in the Super no, Bowl. No, that is true. Like whenever I've caught clips of American football, it is the most fantastic and exciting thing. <laughs> but on the odd occasion where I've caught it live, I'm like, okay, like, can you, can you do something? And the equivalent is like, you might watch the Champions League, but you've not sat with me in the stands and watched Colchester right. United in a one, one all draw against Leighton Orient with like hardly any passes played along the floor. Right, exactly. That's the exact analogy. But what I think that if you marry the glamorous part of it and all of the the concerts that used to happen and all of that stuff and and still do happen um, with the Netflix show, what Americans love is superstars and they'll tune in for any superstars. Part of the problem with American baseball is they don't generate superstars anymore for a whole host of reasons. The NBA still does. That's why um, they they retain its why it retains its cultural foothold. What Netflix did and what Formula One have done to further that is have they've created 20 TV characters. And it's funny because in America, whether it's NASCAR fans or IndyCar fans, a handful of them have, have come at me, not, not come at me, but whenever I make a point about NASCAR and its popularity, they say, well, NASCAR has, you know, in some dozens of passes uh, over the, at the top of a race over the course of the 500 miles. Um, There's way more parody, all of that stuff. And I say, well, it doesn't necessarily matter. Because Netflix has created TV characters and people are tuning in to see what happens to the TV characters in the same way Ooh. they would Homeland or, or you know, the new Marvel show. Like, let's see what happens to Lance Stroll this week. Well, in the last show, I sort of compared it to Jersey Shore a little bit. Yeah. Like, so some people are tuning in for the Jersey Shore, but that's okay. You can tune in for the drama and the characters, or for yeah. the sport, or for the tech, or for the smell of the petrol, or you can tune in for the glamour. There really is a lot to love about F1. Yes, and so the, the Netflix show carries over from the week to week. I was in the paddock in Miami, and someone like Yuki Tsunoda would come in, and it was like everybody was was the fifth beetle except lewis hamilton who was the first beetle right <laughs> um and and you'd get into the situation where i couldn't believe how much these guy the, these drivers had resonated in america walking through the what you guys call the car park um very quickly i mean this was i, I go to sporting events all the time i go to super bowls i go to nba yeah, finals all right. bragging and, and, Jeez. and <laughs> Check this guy. I mean, oh, like, I'm in Miami. I have a frame of the... reference. I ha- yeah, I have a frame of reference on this stuff, and and the pandemonium around the 13th, the, a Pierre Gasly type, um, was similar to some of the biggest stars oh, at, at wow. their sporting event. And I part of that is just I think that what Liberty has done has they've created this ecosystem where everybody knows everything. The depth that these people know and can identify with is so deep, and that's what's changing. There were so many American sports leagues who would kill for that kind of depth with their participants um, among the general public. Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of that, too, is you've only got 20 drivers to start with. And then you've got an incredible scarcity, especially here in the United States. I mean, we're getting two races this year, but geographically, we're... Europe plus size. So I can understand why. But the question is, are they getting that same reaction to me, like in Europe or or in Australia? Is it the same or is it just because it's such a new sport for us? That's a great question. I think in America, it is, it is, there is sort of a, um, 
exotic nature of it. Oh, wow. These guys are coming into Miami for mm-hmm. one week. Uh, we don't see them a lot. I mean, I would, I would venture to guess there are a ton of people. This was the first time anywhere near an F1 track. Um, there were people I know. I, my, I just saw my wife's cousin over the weekend. Uh, he didn't really know what F1 was. And he went to the race um, because he ended up with some friends who had hospitality things there. And then he said it was the, the best thing he's ever been a part of. Right. Um, and so, Again, to, to to further the gateway drug analogy, like I think that there were people there um, who this was their first experience. Either they got into it through the Netflix thing, and this was this was them getting hooked, or they just said, "Hey, Michelle Obama, Michael Jordan, Bad Bunny, all of those absolute superstars are here. I'm going to check this out." Um, that's not happening at, at at NASCAR. That's not happening at IndyCar. That's not even happening at at baseball. Um, and so there's just a buzz here. The thing builds on itself. And Matt, I agree. Part of that is just in America, this seems really cool and new. This is the hot thing. And the same way, I mean, l- listen, when Liverpool comes to Yankee Stadium and plays in these summer friendlies, Daniel Craig is there. John Oliver is there. All of these extremely famous soccer fans. I mean, I don't know. You know James Corden always goes to those games. Um, and so you, you end up with people saying, Hey, what's this about? And it's their entry point into it. And it's the most basic and, um, you know, the most basic and, and surfacey way into it, but that's how you get people to care. And so, yes, I do think that, uh, the newness and the glamour is, is at this point, a uniquely American thing. You might find that James Corden is more popular in the U S than he is in the UK. Personally, I've heard about this. Personally, I'm a fan. No, because he's come to the US as like this, almost like Conan O'Brien, uh, yes. uh, Jimmy Fallon type figure. That's not what he was in the UK. He was... Uh... But I, I've also... Um, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 it's fine. Go on. You're the, oh, you're no, but the I've guest. also heard... I also think you guys think he's more famous here than he actually is. Oh, is he? Oh, okay, good. Well, he was one of I, the I first think... names you rolled off. Well, he was in the paddock and he goes to these soccer <laughs> games all the time. But yes... I mean, part of it with, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, that, that, that's, I've always, I remember a line about Pitbull. I think when Pitbull, I think he played the World Cup or one of those games, and somebody said that Pitbull is always one of these guys who seems like he's famous because he's famous in the next country over, and he's never actually famous anywhere. It's like, <laughs> well, if, you're, if you're like in Italy, it's like, I think he's, I think he's big in Greece. I've heard, and in Greece, I've heard like, of him. Yeah, I've yeah, no, I think he's, I think, and it just, you just keep going around the world, and there's no Speaking actual Speaking of where he's relative massive. levels of fame, in the UK, if you're wondering what Kevin Clark would equate to, think of him like a, a young Jeff Stelling. Won't mean anything. Oh, come on. You, no way. That's a compliment, surely. No, no, it is a compliment. It's too much is what I'm saying. No, oh, no, no, it isn't too much at all. Don't believe his his false modesty. And as you will see in what we're about to do, Kevin Clark is full of lies and BS because we, <laughs> we are about to debate our hot takes. I asked uh, uh, Kevin and Matt if he has any as well, yep. and I have some too. What are your hot takes on F1 this season? And I will tell them why they are wrong, and they will fawningly agree with my hot takes. That's how I see this playing out. Amazing. Okay, good. Let's start with you. In fact, the first one, uh, Kevin, probably is to do with the US popularity of F1. You want me to unveil that one? Yeah. Um, okay. All right. So my hot take is that there will not be, at the end of this decade, three races in America. Um, maybe there will be two. Maybe there will be one. But I think three will be the high watermark of F1 in the United States. And at some point, there will be a leveling off. And by the end of this decade, we will see a reduction by one race. Why? 
couple things. Number one, it is a little bit analogous to what happened to soccer in this country. Soccer is a mainstream sport in this country. And if you walk around a Champions League final weekend in New York City, you will see people at bars. It will be legitimate. They'll get millions of people watching it. It's on one of the whoever has the rights, uh, whether that's Fox, CBS, before that, uh, ESPN. Uh, it is on main channels. Is that People just care. is that just Liverpool and with like the Irish population of of New York, or is that no, everywhere? No, oh, no, okay. no. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I moved here in 2010, um, and that was when uh, Inter played, and it was it was the same same thing. Um, People just really care, and so there's a it, it is a legitimate sport in the same way that like you know I, it, it's a little bit different because there's no there's no EPL team here, but like it gets comparable ratings to something like hockey um, oh, wow. for some of the bigger okay. games. Then the, yeah. the World Cup, obviously gets even bigger. Um, but but there's always going to be a cap unless America can claim the sport for itself. And that's what happened with European soccer is that there are a lot of Chelsea fans in Brooklyn. Matt probably mm. sees them all the time. Arsenal fans, Tottenham fans, you see them all the time. But unless they're going every Sunday or Saturday or, you know, uh, for, for Spurs, they go on Champions League nights or Tuesday and Wednesday. Arsenal's more of a Thursday team. Um, but, that's an insult. Uh, no, I'm just getting that in there. Apologize um, to uh, all our but, <laughs> London. <laughs> um, but I think that there there was a plateauing in European soccer because there's just not that much of an ecosystem here. The media, you know, we have these shows on ESPN every morning, um, first take and all that stuff, where they debate certain things, and it's almost always football and basketball. And then when we're done with basketball, they go back to football and. I think unless you can get in that, that ecosystem, mm-hmm. there's a cap on your, your cultural relevance. And over time, um, unless you break in there, and listen, if ESPN resigns, uh, the, the report is they're going to start sending a reporter to every single track for Sports Center hits. Maybe they break in on a couple of these radio shows and podcast shows and they get more mainstream relevance. But soccer hasn't really. Um, I mean, there are soccer specific shows on those networks. Uh, but it's not to the level of of some of the other major sports in America. So I think at some point we're going to see two things. Number one, an increase in F1 popularity. And then the second thing is a plateauing and sort of a uh, you know, sort of a realization that we are where we are with F1 because that's what happened yeah. with soccer. Oh, I mean, even in podcasting, you get like spikes. We go, oh, I found like a yeah. thousand new people and I'm so excited. And then you're disappointed the next week. And it's like, well, no, you found a thousand new people, but 300 fell in love. So there's a natural yes. kind of plateauing. I, this might be a hot take. I don't think I've said this on the show before. Don't want to offend any Americans. But before Miami, I would have said, you're absolutely wrong. There's going to be eight US Grand Prix at some point. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think Miami was a flop. I don't know what it was like from a commercial oh. point of view, but as a race fan, I didn't like the track. I didn't like how it went down. Looking As soon as we saw it in practice, as F1 fans, we kind of went, ooh, this isn't really going to land. And it wouldn't have landed if it wasn't for one of the most random safety cars I've ever seen yeah. with Norris. Um, and I think that might have kind of, did that hurt the US F1 track schedule? Couple things. Number Ooh. one, Matt, I, I think you can probably speak to this because you you obviously talked to a lot of American F one fans as well. I think that Miami went way too hard on the luxury aspect oh, of it, did and, it ever. and catered way too much to hospitality and less about just the folks who who watched who like Red Bull and want to spend a couple hundred bucks to come down for the weekend. Um, there were not there was not enough catering to that and more to billionaires who wanted to come down and, and see two minutes in, in the Heineken hospitality area. 
Um, so I think that may have hurt it because listen, there's no cap on the amount of people who are going to watch on Sunday, say, this is a cool sport. I'll spend a couple hundred dollars flying down there, a couple hundred dollars at the race. Okay. There is a cap for the amount of people who are going to spend $10,000, which is what actually a lot of those hospitality tickets started at. I think it wasn't a flop because I think that we overrate in America, certainly how much anybody's paying attention to anything. And I think that <laughs> okay. there were a lot of people who saw David Beckham, Tom Brady, and Michael Jordan in the paddock with Lewis oh, and said, that looked the coolest place to be in the world. FOMO. James Corden in the, yeah. J- 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 James, uh, James Corden in the McLaren paddock, even though he's not as famous as, as maybe Brits think he is. Um, but that thing's met, but bad bunny. who's one of the most famous people in the world. Frankly, at this point is on the, I decided he's on the cover of, of GQ here. Um, he was in the Red Bull paddock like that. That stuff ends up mattering. And in a weird way for the casual fan, buzz is more important than whether or not there was a classic race. I don't think okay. Miami came into it trying to cater to the diehards. Well, I, I'm just going to respond to that by saying that I think they build when they rebuild stadiums, they add more and more corporate luxury boxes. Yes. And I think they do that for a reason. And I think Miami is just a simple, natural extension of that thinking where they may have fallen down. I think from the point of view of the promoters is I did see some people saying less than positive things about hospitality yes, yes. at that level, because yes, yes. it was not the usual formula one company. It was a more local company. I local, think that yeah, handled yeah handled that end of it. So they may catch some flack from that, but I think this is no different to really what Bernie would do. And yeah, I think it's going to be hard to always have three races because what you really need is municipalities and states that will buy into the amount of money Formula One will bring to them when you have the Mm -hmm. track. And right now we've got Vegas, which F1 is sponsoring itself for, I assume, reasons. You've got Texas, which has already been through a couple of sketchy funding eras. And you've got Miami, which is just an admitted uh, tourism money grab. But <laughs> yeah. given, given Miami, it's kind of a great crossover for them because that is kind of their brand. Yes, yes. It is. The Vegas, Matt, you, you, you know this about American, the, the American rhythms. The Vegas one to me is the biggest bet. Everyone says it's going to be epic. And there are people saying it's going to be the crown jewel. It's going against football season in the States. It's going against the holiday season. So you're already getting into how many people are actually going to travel. It's going to be at a weird time. It's going to be basically Saturday night um, to catch European, the European morning. Um, it's going to be, you know, there's a lot of boxing in, in Las Vegas. So they're kind of used to doing the 10 p.m., 11 p.m. thing. It's not, it's not particularly new um, to, do, to do late night events there. Also, it's, it never, nobody goes to sleep there, so it doesn't matter. Uh, everybody's on drugs. Um, so... <laughs> It, it, allegedly, it's a risk. Gee, the lawyers. Oh, no, 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 no. I've been allegedly. to Vegas. No, he's pretty no, much I've right. got the lawyers in my ear here. I've added it. But go on, carry on, Perry. <laughs> Slandering the city of Las Vegas. Um, no, I don't even think they would take us to court over that. I think, <laughs> I think that they're, they're, they're comfortable in their... In their uh, be a gentle nod from a woodsman. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Um, I think that's the biggest risk because I think that there's a chance that it kind of comes and goes without any buzz to America. Maybe everybody in Europe... Listen... I go to, when I lived in Los Angeles. I go to Las Vegas probably once every other month. A lot of Brits there. A lot of lot of lads on tour kind of thing. That's okay, the dream. maybe they can all mm. come down and 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 see that and take the ten hour flight that they seem to not care about at all. Um, they love coming over. Maybe there's enough of that. But 
I think that the, the Miami race was the perfect time in the calendar right after the NFL draft. The NBA playoffs hadn't kicked into gear. I think the Vegas race runs the risk of little to no buzz if they don't play it correctly. Okay, next hot take from you, Kevin Clark, the USA's Jeff Stelling. Uh, you... <laughs> now, I know the next one is about Ferrari. so It is. I, I want to make clear, because right. I'm going to disagree. You, you've told me in advance. Okay. So that's good. So I'm going to disagree. But I need to make clear I'm not Tifosi. I'm not a Ferrari fan. In fact, I do see Ferrari as the the old enemy. Ferrari are the Death Star. Ferrari all but ruined Formula One for me in the early 2000s. They were just, they were too good. So for me to hear what you're about to say is like saying that Darth Vader, and I've just realized I don't know Star Wars well enough to make this analogy, that Darth Vader will never conquer the Republic ultimately. But I've just realized I remember the end of one of those films. What's your next hot take, (laughs) Kevin? My next and last hot take is that Ferrari had a great chance to win the Drivers' Championship this year. And it's funny because I think, I think, no, no, no. It's true, you lunatic. that, That I had, had. They, wow. It's funny. I think it was on this show a year ago that someone, one of the tech guys said, maybe for, there's rumors Ferrari's figured something out and that, that 2022 is going to be their year. They're in the tunnel. They've got something for the new regulations, okay? <laughs> and that was true. They had a car that could compete for championships. And I called it early. I, when I saw Ferrari in the first couple of weeks of the season, I said, this is a title-winning car. Red Bull couldn't even finish anything. We've been hurt and, before. And the more the more we've seen over the past couple of weeks, the more I think for a for a confluence of reasons, a confluence of events here have come, have come together, I don't think Ferrari is going to win a world driver's championship in this, I don't know what you would call it, era, this set of regulations, because this was their best chance. They didn't have not taken advantage and don't look equipped to take advantage. And from now on, starting next year, people are only going to catch up with them. I don't think, Spanners, you've been on my show saying you don't think that they, they make the necessary adjustments in the course of the season. What about the necessary adjustment over a decade? Mercedes, at some point, is going to figure this out. There will be mid-pack teams that figure out something. Red Bull is not going away. Red Bull is so good at putting pressure on you because they do so many things competently. Um, I, I'm, I, if I were to guess... I would say Ferrari come out of this set of regulations without a trophy. Oh, we'll go to Matt, but Matt, we have to differentiate between kind of regulation eras and regulation kind of sub eras. So, for example, 2014, start of a major regulation change. 2017, yes. which was kind of the knee jerk reaction, we'll call that a sub regulation era. And then this is like another major regulation era. So, other major regulation eras, 2009. With where Braun came in with the blown diffuser. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of scale we're talking. And this is what Kevin Clark is saying. Ferrari to not win another title this century. That's what he's committed to. <laughs> Repost, Matt. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm going to need your help with some history, though. Oh, okay. What was the year of Ferrari driving slowly? <laughs> was it 2020 or 2019? Uh, no, uh, 2019, they were very slow because they had allegedly... Yes. Been using too much fuel, and there was a secret deal which we know nothing about, which de- definitely didn't mean that they had an agreement to like be slow <laughs> that year. Right. So, so, so my riposte to that is very simple. It took them all of what, like, two years 
to go from having the worst and slowest power unit mm -hmm. to the absolute best, mm -hmm. bar none, which they haven't even finished upgrading for this season. And if you look back at Mercedes, and especially if you look at how Mercedes did once some of the other power units got better. Hello, Honda. Hi there, Ferrari. Before we found mm -hmm. out you were not cheating, but might have been allegedly <laughs> been doing something that wasn't entirely kosher. Match on pits views do not represent Mr. Apex as a whole. <laughs> we see how important the influence mm -hmm. at the sharp end of the aero field, the power unit is. And I think right now, Ferrari have the best power unit. And I think probably most of the techie people would either agree or say, well, you know, Red Bull's in with a shout. It's mm -hmm. close. But we're still looking at a massive energy um, recovery system upgrade sure. from Ferrari we know about. And I think that power unit advantage is easier to use the arrow to catch up with than vice versa. Oh, I've got really good arrow. Hello, Red Bull, the whole, whole time they were there. But if your power unit's nowhere, you can't do anything with that arrow. But, but to sort of back up Kev a little bit, Ferrari having the best car has happened a few times. Yeah. 2008. 2017, 2018, arguably. I, I was going to say that. So, so first of all, one of the things I want to point out is that Spanish, you came on my show and you said you love being able to drop hot takes because I'm the person who's going to get the negative reviews. Oh, no. It's going to be people. So now, now I, I've turned the tables oh. on you. Um, but <laughs> oh, no. Matt, what's interesting is that I don't, I certainly agree that they have the best power unit. And actually, I think that that's almost to the point if you just look at the, the, the clients that they have, um, the customers that they have, it's almost inarguable. But what undoes it is the Ferrariness of them, and the fact, and and whether that's strategy, <laughs> whether that's reliability, um, they just, as Spanner said, they've had yeah. the best car before and not come through with it. And so, what I think is going to happen, it's not about them having. I mean, they may have the best power unit next year, but I think the gap will start to close, and then all of the margins. I mean, like, listen, it's funny because I was talking about this with, with the NFL. Is that there? Are, 10,000 reasons one football team beats another over the course of a 60-minute game. Um, you're talking about one little step here, one little block here. I mean, it, it is so – and all those little tiny edges add up, right? And when I look at Ferrari's power unit, yeah, they've got one big advantage. It's almost like having a great quarterback um, in, in football where it solves so many of your problems. But I think that there are going to be other teams that start to bridge the gap on the power unit as this era goes on. And I don't think Ferrari has – the level of competence of other teams, Mercedes, Red Bull, um, to where they, that advantage is going to get them a, a trophy. But I will point out that it was not Ferrari that missed their uh, virtual safety car pit stop window. It's true. It's true. And it was true, Red Bull. I think, at, I think at the level, the margins, all of these top teams are at, and we've made this same complaint about Mercedes as well. Mm-hmm. I think what you're really seeing right now is a confluence of tracks that particularly benefit Red Bull and the way they tend to do things. And I think as we get into the more traditional circuits, the advantages of the Ferrari design will make themselves known and put them out of that, oh, we made a poor choice and it cost us the race margin. Mm -hmm. And things that's are, a really go, go, go. No, I was going to say that's an interesting point, but at some point it becomes, you know, Leclerc has. Verstappen, Max has won more races that Leclerc had poles on than Leclerc. Like that, that, that to me, I think that they, they have had tracks where they should be fast. They should be winning. And it just hasn't happened. Yep. And at some point, at some point it becomes a math problem 
and there are not it's not like we're going to only Ferrari tracks from here on out and the lead is 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 pretty significant I think remember it wasn't me that slated Ferrari here it was Kevin Clark so Kevin Clark at, at the ringer.com to get in touch with you is that <laughs> And that's what you didn't do on your show. You didn't just give out my personal details. So I win. <laughs> but if people want to follow you on Twitter, it is uh, at by Kevin at Clark. By Kevin Clark. And not, yep, with an, by Kevin Clark. not with an E. Not with an E. No, no it normally would I be. I get the E. People tack mm. on the E all the time. Even when they they're do. emailing me, I say, how'd you get the email right? Yeah. And then you just get, what, what's yeah, the What's fine. the proper Kev Kevin uh, nickname in the US? Is it Kev? Yeah, Kev. Kev. I get okay. Kev a lot. Yeah, okay. sure. So I, I, I like Kev. to drop the odd KC to see how it lands. Obviously, I get KC a lot if too. If you were in the UK and you were playing football, you would be Clarky. So you should get oh, used hockey. to that as well. So, so in, yeah. in hockey, that, that's what they do all the Clarky. time. Clarky, yeah. Clarky! Yeah, Over yeah. to the left, Clarky! Yeah. Okay, yep. there you yep. go. Yep. One last question before you go. Allay yep. my fears. All of American sports allow only three teams to repetitively play each other over the course of infinity forever, <laughs> like the franchise model. And I fear the the F1 is going for that that F, that USA franchise model. It will be 10 teams forever, mm-hmm. pretty much. No, I would always want promotion and relegation. I like the dream of like English soccer, mm-hmm. where you can come from the bottom and go to the top. Am I wrong to fear this? Is it becoming a closed US franchise shop uh i think so but i don't know how much it has to do with with the american mentality i mean i think that almost like what the super league was i'd like and, to blame uh, wh- someone if that's okay <laughs> please do you can blame me personally <laughs> okay good. The, i went around the paddock in miami when it's andretti Cl- was clarky's fault don't let anybody else in yeah. um so the andretti bid is meeting resistance zach brown said that on monday i think it was um and i i, I was always you always heard people griping pu- publicly and off the record that they didn't want to split the revenue between 11 teams. I'm, you know, there's some, um, there's some mechanisms that F1 has changed over the past few years that make it more like a franchise model. I, it, it upsets me because, you know, one of the cool things, and actually NASCAR got away from this too. Um, but what I really liked was 15 years ago when somebody in a garage could have said, Hey, I built this. It's ready to rock. Let's just see how it goes and try to get up. I mean, one Mm. of the beautiful things about soccer football, um, as you want to call it, uh, as, as the rest of the world, except me calls it, uh, is that (laughs) you can conceivably reach the mountaintop without any buy-in without anything. And it would upset me if racing became a closed circuit. But I do think that there, when I talk to the business people uh, associated with any racing, it's becoming more of a franchise model. Um, and I, I would, I think the best way in now is to sell. I mean, I, someone said this a couple of weeks ago, one of the pundits, but they were saying it's not just that kind of franchise model. The cost cap is also increasing the value of these. And so if you're selling out now, if you're McLaren and you're actually going to sell out um, to, to Audi or whomever, or you're, you're, you're Red Bull and you're going to take an investment from Porsche, you know, A, it's hard to get in, and B, you're going to keep costs down, which means that check that they write is going to be massive. There was a, just a sale recently of the Denver Broncos in the NFL. That, uh, the family that owns Walmart bought it. It went for $4.5 billion. $4.5 billion because they know how much money they're going to make, and they know how much money they have to spend. There is a cap on there. F1 is getting closer and closer and closer to that. And I think that if you gave the team owners a choice, that's what they want. They want the Walmart family buying in for a premium because costs are fixed. 
Oh, you were meant to allay my fears of a franchise sport, <laughs> Kevin. You didn't understand the brief, Matt. Well, I, I can just chime in by saying that all American sports, all the major sports, have expanded at some point and let yes, more yes. people into the club. The the brief on, on on Andretti is they have to prove they will bring more money to the sport than they will cost the teams right. in lost shares because there's an extra team dividing it up. And to me, that's got to be like a no-brainer for an accountant to put together. But, you know, we are talking motorsports people, so I don't know. But I think it's inevitable we will see more teams as the sport continues to grow. So it, it, in America, they call it an expansion fee, and you just pay what is the equivalent of the franchise value to the other teams. So the Seattle Kraken just joined the NHL. They paid $650 million to the other teams. So there has to be, I agree with you, Matt, a, a, a check that can be written that would allay everybody's fears. Yeah. So there, 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 even, that, that figure exists at the moment. It's $200 yes. million. Are they that, ready to write that? Yeah, for a new team to come in, they have to pay $200 million as an offset for what the other teams will lose in, in prize money at the moment. Yet still, there is objection to Andretti. Well, let me ask you a question. Is there a then, so in college football, we have this, we have to pay a fee to join something, but then you're not even a full member until four <laughs> oh, yeah. or five years in. Yeah. So there could even be that. You could even put that further so like a guest, on it. Where, like a guest membership to F1. Yeah, yeah kind yeah. of, yeah. Well, maybe. Like, uh, to be fair, that is kind of what Minardi, Caterham, and Virgin Racing had, didn't they, in the last <laughs> era? Well, well, this is effectively what we had when only 10 teams got prize money. Right? You had yeah, 12 yeah. teams, only 10 got prize money. There was an automatic relegation once you were the 12th team enough years in a row. Okay, so I think we can mm -hmm. all agree that Americans have ruined F1, and I've played my part by bringing <laughs> two Americans to Missed Apex podcast. We apologize for any offense that may have caused, but please do follow uh, Kevin Clark by Kevin Clark with no E on Twitter. Do go out and check the Ringer podcast because they do have a lot more reach than we do. You do have an awful lot of interesting guests and they do have a fantastic sports obsessed host that lives and breathes competition. We're very impressed by you, Kevin Clark, and we think people should check out your podcast. Again, I've learned so much from this podcast. Um, it's really a joy and I'm, I'm so glad you guys are having success. Oh, come hang out with us anytime, Kevin. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, our next guest in the shed today is an actual F1 team employee. And we rarely make approaches to F1 teams, if I'm honest, because partly... You can only hear no so much before you take the hint. Okay, I I get it. You're the prom king and I'm the wallflower. But also, part of it is, who am I to go and approach a team? I've put my F1 heroes on such a pedestal that I'd feel like Homer Simpson knocking on the doors of Mount Olympus. Who am I to dare bother the gods? So it is a thrill today to be joined by someone who spent his career in the belly of the beast from print media motorsport uh, to ending up in McLaren communications a quick break to bang out a novel why not and then ending up at aston martin via w series we are delighted to be joined in the shed by the chief communications officer at aston martin it's matt bishop hello matt hello there it's wonderful to see you i guess the first question is what is a chief communications officer chief communications officer eh? well it's sometimes called a comms director um sometimes called a head of comms Uh, Basically, everything that comes out of a Formula One team, either in terms of the output on social media, uh, websites and so on and so forth. We still have websites as well as all the social platforms. Everything has to come through the filter of the kind of messaging that the chief comms officer and his or her team wants to the team to adopt. And also, we have to have hopefully a positive influence over what mainstream media and indeed other social media, people like your good selves, have to say about ourselves. In fact, ourselves being our team, Aston Martin's Formula One team, and all who sail in her, drivers, bosses, anyone else who we may be wanting to feature. Sometimes it's proactive in the ways that I've just described. Sometimes it's reactive. See, Chris, actual evidence that we Mm. influence actual F1 teams. Chris Stevens is here, by the way. There you yeah. Are. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Well, part of the job is having to see what everyone else is uh, is doing and saying about your uh, team. And I remember one of my first jobs in uh, a bit of work experience I did was going through a newspaper and circling everything to do with the uh, the Broxtow Borough Council. It was back then. So, Matt, are you spending time crawling through the internet, uh, seeing how people are reacting? I guess not only to the the team's performance, but to the stuff that you put out as well. Yeah, to some extent, I do do that. And indeed, you know, my colleagues do that. You, you know, we need to know uh, how Aston Martin and all who sail in her are being perceived. In, uh, in, and that means television, radio, uh, newspapers, they still exist, websites, they still exist. And of course, all over social media. The word influencer, you know, is, is correctly used and widely used now. But some influencers are more influential than others. Yeah, so you sit up and pay more attention if Matt Gallagher praises you guys more than if Spanners in a Shed, you know, says, oh, that, that bitch Spanners is brilliant. In Spanners in a Shed is right up there. It's all good. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic to hear. But I was surprised by the reactions of certain drivers over the last few years. The one that sticks out for me is Valtteri Bottas and the to whom it may concern and finding out that that wasn't to some agent or spurned lover, that that was in response to social media critics. And I was like, oh, wow, that that gets to them as well. Well, it gets to some of them. Uh, You know, I work with uh, two drivers, as you do in a Formula One team at the moment. Well, also uh, 
reserve drivers and driver ambassadors and so yeah. on, but two race drivers, Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll, neither of them is particularly big on social media. Obviously, Seb is famous for being yes. not at all um, absent entirely, which is, which is very unusual. Um, and Lance obviously has presences, but he, he, I don't think he throws himself into it with quite the elan that some of them do. Uh, and that's not bad or wrong, and it isn't better uh, when when some of them get very, very involved. Uh, I mean, I think there's a happy med- mean, really, a happy medium, because you, you want your drivers and indeed sports stars uh, to pay attention. It is useful and interesting if they're engaged, but you don't also want them to get obsessed by it and end up spending a lot of time on it or indeed getting het up and worried about it. Yeah, so um, I, we've famously heard stories of people like Lando Norris who were too busy on their phone to pay attention during you know debriefing uh, <laughs> meetings, particularly in his first year in Formula One. Um, so I guess, yeah, what you say, there's a, a nice balance to be met there. But I, I think we're, we're in a position now, Matt, where more and more drivers are starting to create their own brands. Mm. Um, so d- does that affect your job on a sort of day-to-day basis? Are you helping Lance and Seb establish their own brands as part of the team? I would say so, yes. Um, it's, a, it's a dual process, perhaps even symbiotic. You know, uh, uh, let's, a very good example is Seb. So, you know, he isn't on social media. He is entirely absent. And yet there have been times when he has been trending on social media, despite that. Uh, And, you know, I I started working with him, I've known him for 15 years, but I started working with him when he joined, and I joined, Aston Martin at the beginning of 2021. And, you know, we sat down and chatted, and it became clear that he wanted to talk about, yes, he'd talk about, you know, the normal things. He'd talk about the car and the tires and the engine and the lap times and the understeer and the oversteer and all the rest of it. But he also wanted to talk a little bit about things that interested him outside of uh, uh, the sport. And, you know, I've personally been very, very pleased to encourage him around his support of LGBTQ plus issues. I'm a gay man myself, so that was a natural fit for me. And he has been brilliant in that way. And in fact, has been massively popular and I think has engaged and, and uh, attracted a wider fan base as a result of being prepared to be to stand up and be counted in, in, in that um, regard. So I would say that's, um, that's something where, yeah, you work with the driver and say, you know, what kind of things do you want to say? What kind of things are you interested in? And mm. we will try to weave those in where possible with um with, with what the kind of bed and butter bread and butter stuff that you yeah. have to do anyway well obviously you yourself are you're a representative of of racing pride uh, you're very open and forthright in lgbtq um, issues and visibility that seems like it was just a match made in heaven and that you guys can feed off of each other and uh, very fortunate that he has that view that willingness and then his communications officer happens to be exactly you and that worked out nicely he has a very clear i mean the word we use is allyship the the in other words a straight man you know a straight cis het man married to a straight cis het woman three kids uh it's and yet many. he's yeah. absolutely 
he's absolutely an ally and and his he played he just puts it very plainly and very simply and very beautifully really he says you know everyone should have the right to be who they want to be and love whom they want to love and if you argue with that then give your head a wobble really obviously seb has done a lot of gestures like the uh the the t-shirt in uh, budapest uh, last year in saudi arabia as well were there ever moments where you were I don't know, maybe a bit nervous about the response that that would get, particularly from like a race promoter or local governments, things like that. I think as long as he sticks to something that's um, sensible and defensible, then uh, that's all good. And everything he's done about LGBTQ plus has been. I think one of the things you know, me and Chris have spoken about this quite a lot when Seb does that kind of thing, it is it's. You know, what does it what does it mean to the community? And as a cisgendered straight male, it's to me, you can kind of be tempted to go, well, why why does it why does it matter? Why does getting that message and seeing an ally in motorsport matter? Well, racing pride is an interesting thing. And why did we found it? We founded it in 2019 in association with Stonewall, which is a well-known LGBTQ plus charity. And we did so because there was a need. Uh, because we were finding, um, you know, I've been open in, in, in Form 1 for nearly 30 years as, a, as an out gay man, but I was the only one for a long time. And now there's very few others, but very few. And there are still quite a few hidden. And I was approached by some of the hidden ones, closeted ones. And they might say things like, you know, I've been a mechanic working in Formula 1 for 15 years. I've never dared to come out. And it it's agonizing for me. And now yeah. I'm actually going to marry my same sex male partner. And I'm going to have to keep that a secret from people I regard as some of my best friends. Now, just think about that for a second. So, one of the things we do as Racing Point is take the message to the teams and say, you know, just don't assume. Just don't assume that everyone is uh, a cishet man or a cishet woman, but most employees mm. are men anyway. Don't assume that. Try and encourage people. And to some extent, of course, I also try to encourage, but you mustn't coerce people to come out. They must do it when they want to and if they want to. But, uh, you know, when you're ready to, you may find that the people who you think are going to jump down your throat or desert you as friends and colleagues may actually say, mate, thank goodness you told me. Um, yeah. I probably always suspected it and now i'm so pleased that you've told me a lot of the thing that people miss uh when we when they ask you know why is it important that we do this the you know nobody, nobody's a homophobic anymore which is just flat out not true <laughs> but you know they i think they don't quite understand the sheer terror that goes into coming out coming out is different for everyone the other point is you don't just come out the once i remember when i came out i came out when i was 18 and I thought, right, job done. Actually, I'm now 59. And I probably come out about once <laughs> or twice a month and have done over the past four to one years. Yeah. That's what happens. At some point, there's going to be a not straight racing driver uh, who enters Formula One. Is the F1 paddock, the communications gearing ready for what inevitably will be a, a difficult and challenging uh, scenario, especially in your trade? Do you know what? I don't think it will be difficult or challenging. There, in 72 years, there have been three that we know of 
really LGBTQ plus drivers. So there's been Nisha Cabral, bisexual, who, by the way, came out at the age of 75. Uh, there's been Mike Beutler, who was kind of open as far as you could be open as a gay man in the early 70s in Formula One in most sport. In other words, it wasn't written in the pages of Autosport magazine, but everybody knew. And Lella Lombardi, who was a lesbian. So those are the three pioneers, really, all now dead. Mm. And let me fast forward you to, I don't know, a fantasy. Let's say that you are sitting at home and you're watching the 2026 Monaco Grand Prix and you see that Johnny Jenkins, invented name, wins the Monaco Grand Prix for Ferrari and second is Max Verstappen and third is Lance Stroll, etc., etc. Now, good, always repping. And then, <laughs> and then Johnny Jenkins walks down off the podium and hugs and kisses his mm. boyfriend in the paddock. Do you know what? I think that would immediately go from the proverbial back pages of the newspapers to the proverbial front. I think it would be warmly welcomed the world over. And I think that young man would be in more demand as the recipient of sponsor offers than any other sports person in the world. Well, those are very encouraging words. A, I hope you're right. And B, I hope that more people speaking in those positive terms and not being scared of potential backlash, like I was being, properly negative, is encouraging for people coming through who, who aren't straight white men. But may I bother you before you go? We have a, a couple of listener questions. Do you mind if I quick fire them at you, Matt? Go ahead. And, and it is very nosy about the world of PR and communications. Uh, David, I think, asks a fantastic question here. How you can't, obviously can't give us details, but how much coded messaging takes over the over take, takes place over the radios with the drivers, and the radio messages must be a PR headache. Well, there is quite a lot of coding, and you know, people like me don't really need to know it. I could probably sit down and try and commit it all to memory. Is it a PR nightmare? Do you know what? Uh, I look at comms and PR and media work in general in a different way. I'm a poacher-turned-gamekeeper anyway. I was a journalist yeah. for years before I, I, I went to the dark side and uh, started working <laughs> for teams in, in comms and PR. So I think we have to remember always that we are an entertainment business, first and foremost, and the fans are by far the most preeminent people in this whole shebang. And that being the case, if a driver or anybody else issues a radio communication that's difficult or challenging or embarrassing, well, that's why we get paid, isn't it? To try to, you know, find a way to um, conjure that into a positive bit of comms or just go with the flow and ride the punches. Because, you know, I worked with Lewis Hamilton uh, for years back at McLaren. Of course. And Lewis, bless him. You, you know, was very prone to making the odd um, uh, 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 remark on the he, radio and in the press. He wears his so, heart on his mouth, doesn't he? A little yeah, bit. yeah. And, you, you know, sometimes you'd think we're having a nice, peaceful day and then <laughs> Lewis would say something. There's some telemetry By the way, I'm being... a massive, massive fan of Lewis, massive fan. I loved working with him. He's the greatest driver. And uh, But, you know, rather than me cursing that, much better to say, well, yeah, that's that's tricky. Let me go and find a way of making it work. 
but ultimately we're about putting bums on sofas in front of screens. And as a dad, can you get them to stop using so much naughty language, please, Matt? Congratulations on being a dad, by the way. Well, I did most of the work, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Naughty language. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Uh, They use the radio in a number of ways. You know, it's very obvious that they now use it in order to try to get it broadcast uh, and order also to bring it to the attention of the race director. Play the referee, yeah. Yeah, you know, all this business about so-and-so is a bleep, bleep, bleep idiot. He just uh, drove me off the track at turn six. We know that's not only anger. It's also telegraphing a message both to the fans, the media, and yeah. indeed the race director. Like Ocon with the Magnuson's front wing. It's going to fly off and it's going to kill all of us. It needs to be sorted. <laughs> uh, one last one before we let you go. Uh, Simon just says, whose job is it to come up with all the teammate games that they push put on social media? Some of them are brilliant. Some of them like McLaren's sloshing milk around whilst driving around Silverstone. It was just disgusting. Uh, but who, who comes up with those and how important are they uh, to, to, you know, to the, the PR strategy? Well, you, you know, sometimes the best thing about a good idea is that you can't actually remember who had it because it came out of a proper collaboration where you're sitting around chucking thoughts around and then suddenly it gels. And whose idea was that? Can't actually remember because it came out of a genuine collaboration. So it is a team. But uh, in terms of the types of things that your questioner is asking about, there is a small team and such a risk, isn't it, naming people? Because if I name people, I'm bound to forget somebody. But I'll go for it anyway. Go, go because I would say that Joanne Revel does a great job there. Steve Cooper does a great job there. Uh, our two videographers do great, great jobs. That's uh, Jimmy and Sam. There's also Will Piper, clever bloke. And anybody, it's like an Oscar-winning uh, yeah. speech, isn't it? Anyone yeah. else I've forgotten that just, does a brilliant just job. Just remember, if, me. if Matt me. didn't specifically name you, it's because he doesn't value you or your work. <laughs> so that's the important thing to get across. Uh, we won't take up any more of your time, Matt. Thank you so much for dropping in and giving us um, a, a, a moment in the life of, uh, you know, in the shoes of a proper F1 team person. Uh, Matt is also an author. He has a book called The Boy. Uh, the Boy Made the Difference, which is available on Amazon and bookshops, worth checking out. And uh, where can we send people to check out your work and Racing Pride stuff? So Racing Pride uh, has its own website and Twitter and all the rest of it. Obviously, Aston Martin has the same things. If you want to buy The Boy Made the Difference, by the way, it's got nothing to do with Formula One. So you <laughs> Okay, yeah, just to set that up. Yeah. Expected that. But but all um, all proceeds go to charity, a, a children's cancer charity. So there you go. And it's available on Amazon, Book Depository, and in Kindle and paperback and in all good bookshops. Matt, Matt Bishop, the Bish, thank you very much for your time. Uh, have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Excellent stuff. And finally, we're heading all the way over to China to catch up with our friend and streamer, Chester. How's it going, Chester? Yeah, doing good. Uh, You've been doing uh, live watch-alongs over there in Mandarin? Yeah, in Mandarin, live watch-along and like race analysis videos and stuff, like videos 
I, I always get asked, why don't you guys do watch-alongs at Missed Apex? And I think, well, actually, you know, I need to listen to some information from the commentators because they get information that, that we don't. Uh, but you oh, could yeah, do yeah, it definitely. kind of from the live timings. But you'd want to be able to pick your shots and stuff. Do, do you struggle doing it without, uh, you know, without obviously with limited information? Yeah, I don't think so. Because, like, um, uh, when we are watching it live, I can have the iPhone TV thing and have all the data on the screen and see... And also, like in like F1 TV, I can like have the um, the audio set to FX, so it's only the um, the ambient sound and also the team radio. Oh, so okay, that's I don't interesting. Need to, because like, um, so here's the thing: this year, like everyone ex- was expecting, hey, Joe is in iPhone, and it's gonna be huge in China, and the audience can boom. And actually, it's not because. For this year, so originally Tencent, who has the um, uh, the, the online streaming right for yeah. for F one, they didn't re-sign the deal for this year. So what? even though actually, there's the first yes. ever Chinese driver, yes, that's like everyone's that's like so what? frustrating. And now, yeah, so until um, now the ninth race, there's no legal way to watch a F one um, F one race live legally. You can watch it. Uh, there's a, like a local TV network in Shanghai, but like any anywhere else in China, you can't watch it live legally. So you've become like kind of an unofficial stream for people to to watch along in in yeah, Mandarin. Yeah, um, <laughs> I made made a few friends from the uh, um, the original commentator uh, for the Tencent, and they come on the stream and oh, we chat about it. Yeah, that would be like Britain suddenly not having the rights to F1, me doing live watch-alongs and just getting uh, Crofty to come on and, yeah, and, and be exactly. on. Exactly, <laughs> like Crofty and Rondo, yeah. Oh, well, that's fantastic. So hopefully when there is a Chinese broadcast, they'll go, hey, we need Chester on there to be our, our F1 guy. Yeah. There we that, go. That, that'll be nice. That'll so be nice. just remember, when he's China's Crofty, we had him on Missed Apex here first. But look, I don't <laughs> want to be that guy that's like, oh, Chester's from China. He must be, you know, a massive fan of One Yu Joe. Let's just get him on to talk about One Yu Joe all the time. But I'd like to get your take on One Yu Joe, if yeah. that's okay. So before the season, we started talking about him. You, Your hopes weren't massively high. There was, you know, I think you were saying, you know, it was a pay driver, middling junior career. I have to say, I didn't realize quite how rich he was. But my opinion <laughs> of Juan Yu Jose has, has shifted a little bit. I'm starting to like the guy. Um, I'm wondering, has your opinion shifted as well? Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I still remember before the season, I came on the show and uh, I said, uh, he's just a, another pay driver, same as maybe Latifi, maybe, maybe as Mazepin. Yeah. And I didn't have high hopes for him and just thinking, oh, yeah. And like, so for the first race, he got his point. Like, Straight away. First yeah. race there, straight yeah. away. And wheel to wheel with Hamilton and Alonso. That's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. And he's like really calm and collected for, for, for a rookie, for, for a yeah. first race. Do, do you know what I really like, Chester, is that he, he is he is racy and he looks smart. He's, the positioning of his, his car is good. And he just, if you if you didn't know he was a paid driver, would you be judging him as one, as a rookie this season? And I, I think from that point of view, he's kind of, he's passing the, the Turing test. What's the equivalent of the Turing test, but for um, for a quote unquote real driver? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe because like um, uh, you, you you can say like the test is about like not crashing and maybe do like not doing stupid stuff. But yeah. actually, like considering a F one rookie, like for the past couple of years, maybe we we say Latifi or maybe Yuki last year, maybe Mick yeah. Schumacher. Joe is like one of the better or even one of the best looking junior 
um, best looking rookies. Yeah, right. He, he's not. He's not causing yellow flags everywhere. He's not mm. crashing his car. I think one of the only contacts is with uh, Pierre Gasly uh, during the sprint race in Imola. So, like, he's still, like, pretty slow compared to Bottas in quality, but we all know Bottas is, is a very good qualifier. Yeah. So I think if we can work on that, and, like, for the past past two races, he's out-qualified Valtteri, and um, in the race, he's like his race pace is really, really good. Yeah, and I wonder so, if some of that has been masked by the DNFs as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think, like, uh, we watched Azerbaijan Grand Prix live, and when Joe's engine go pop, and we just, oh, just like, wow. <laughs> That's devastating, because, like, he's, he's like, uh, where was he, where was he running? Where was he running? Do you remember? Uh, about, like, eighth or ninth. Yeah, and he's, okay. he, he's on to, like, very, very good point scores. And, yeah, that's that's really... Um, <laughs> uh, emotional training. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm making sure I don't get carried away. It's just that every little data point that I'm starting to see sort of ticks the boxes. So, like I said, his, his racecraft seems to be uh, competent. He's racy. He, yeah. he's, he's not phoning in the performances. Um, but then, delightfully, he seems to be quite a nice character as well. And he seems to be very kind of, you know, charming, good-humoured, which always helps. Yeah, it definitely helps. Like, uh, if you don't have the speed, at least, let's say, like, um, Latifi. Yeah, he's not that fast, but, like, at but, least he's very friendly. At least he's like, lovely. <laughs> yeah, at least, like, everyone likes him and, like, yeah. loves working with him. And, yeah, so Joe is, like, um, at least he's... If he's not fast, at least he's likable. He's polite. <laughs> he's saying all the right things, like unlike some other people on streams, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, we'll not get into Vips, but uh, yeah. That, so what we're saying, oh, I don't want to damn Wan Yu Joe with faint praise because so far we're saying he's polite and rarely late. You know, that's that's what we're, we're throwing at him. And I think we are coming from a place of low expectations, but I didn't actually realize quite how much of a paid driver he was. I thought it was more of a... Sonoda type deal where Honda wanted Sonoda in and I'm sure Honda want a Japanese driver in F1 I thought it was and I got told that it was more about Chinese businesses wanting to back a Chinese driver but actually the the family is incredibly wealthy I didn't realize yeah. that he had a a cart track built for him yeah and if you don't know, uh, when he's in F2 the the team Vitrosi changed the name to UNI Vitrosi UNI Uni which is his name Right. The Zhou Guan Yu, the yeah. Yu is universe in Chinese. So they literally changed the F2 team's name to like match. Him. Oh, hang so, on. Sorry. Yeah. Guan Yu means universe. Um, so Zhou is his last name, right? And uh, Guan means, um, it has two means. First, it means crown. And second, it means champion. And uh. Yu means universe. So yeah, maybe it's like champion of the universe. That's a quite, quite good name. <laughs> I I would like to change my name to Champion of the Universe. It might well. it might not go down as well in <laughs> British culture. I'll be completely honest with you, Chester. Um, but yeah, so yeah, obviously he comes in with with incredible wealth, has a go kart track made for him, then moves to England to go and do uh, to do racing to put himself in a mm -hmm. racy environment. D does that say something about? about Chinese racing, that they feel like it was not competitive enough. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of racing closer to home. Yeah. Um, so so for for him, I think, like, everyone knows if you want to get really serious about racing, if you want to get into Formula 1, you are going to England. Is that right? right? Ah, okay. Is that what the, the perception so. around the world? Yeah, because, like, 
most of the F1 teams are based there and like except maybe Ferrari, Aftari and uh maybe Haas, but like all the engineers, all the drivers, the resources are, are there. Mm. The networks are there. So if you want to improve, if you want to like um, face off with the other best of the world, you go to England. And that's what he did uh, around 12 or 13. So, mm. yeah, he, he left China uh, at a really, really young age. I mean, that does show a, yeah, a lot of commitment. And just to fend off any emails, it, uh, Alfa Romeo. Romeo are based in Switzerland in Swiss, and yeah. uh, Haas are in the mm-hmm. UK. So um, what about his teammate, Valtteri Bottas? We've talked about his qualifying pace. So obviously we know how well he can qualify against Lewis Hamilton. But at Mercedes, a lot of times he just he went absent and perhaps didn't do as well on these tyres on race pace. So the feeling now has to be building that Joe has actually got an opportunity to look good against a a, a well-fancied driver with a good reputation. Yeah, exactly. That's what we, a lot of people thought, like, um, we were not expecting Joe to go toe-to-toe with Valtteri in qualifying on Saturday. And um, that has shown. So for the <laughs> first six races uh, this year, um, they have, like, one of the largest medium medium gaps between teammates. So that's, like, 1% um, difference, so which is huge. Like, yeah. for, for, for example, like, Albon and maybe Gasly has like 0.5% to Verstappen and everyone's like slammed down. Freaking out, yeah. Yeah, and and like 1% is huge. Um, To be fair, he he had some like bad luck. Like Joe is really, really unlucky. Like whenever he's he's good on on Sunday, his car breaks down and when when he's trying to set a fast lap, either Alpha sent him out at the wrong time or maybe maybe in Bahrain, his DRS doesn't work. So he lost like 0.2, 0.3 second per lap. So... Anyway, um, so one percent is still a a huge gap to yeah. to Valtteri, but for the past two races, he's like, we don't know what's happened to 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 Bottas. Uh, he's like not that like uh, really fast in quality compared to Joe. Maybe Joe is catching up. Maybe they have something to do with the engine because like it keeps blowing off. Um, so yeah, jo- Joe's got new engines. To be fair, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, it? yeah. Uh, maybe maybe that'll help. And there there was some like uh, we were suspecting maybe Alpha is turning down their engines like uh, in the past two races just to keep it safe when when Joe's have having like a yeah. very good weekend. So maybe there there are various reasons, but. At least we can say Joe is not that far off from a very well respected and um, very experienced yeah. F1 yeah. driver. Yeah. So, so, so from, uh, from a Chinese F1 fandom point of view, though, and and looking forward, obviously you would like Joe to do well uh, to, to increase the the fan base, increase your personal wealth when you become the Chinese David Croft. Uh, he at least he is not bothering blue flags he's genuinely fighting for points yeah. there's reason to be optimistic yeah exactly and uh at least for blue flags at least he's following all the blue flags and not like um blocking fast cars behind him <laughs> so that's a that's a plus yeah uh, really really hopeful yeah because like before the season we were all like ah he's gonna get mm. like wipe what's well, gonna wipe the floor but no he's actually like showing good pace in race in quality and actually improving he's like yeah uh, i'm really hopeful for for yeah. what's gonna happen the the uh, later half of the year well normally we we tend to give rookies 
six months, you know, a six month pass to, to go and cause chaos, get used to it and get onto the back of your teammate pace wise. So certainly Joe seems like he's slightly ahead of the curve on on that uh, on that end. So hopefully um, Chester will get you on a mailbag episode soon. Stay safe. Where can people follow you? Do you you do you bother us on Twitter and stuff? Um, I don't really post anything on Twitter, so don't bother. Uh, if, <laughs> don't if, bother. You, uh, <laughs> if you speak Mandarin, if you want to uh, hear us talk about uh, Formula One stuff, do race reviews, go follow Fangcheng Shimantan on all the big podcasting pro- platforms. Already do. Uh, you know I already do. Chester, thanks for your time, and we'll catch up <laughs> with you soon. Yeah, thanks. Well... That was another Missed Apex magazine show. I hope you enjoyed that. What a week it's been for Missed Apex podcast and what fine company we're keeping. Kevin Clark, kind of a big deal in America land. Go and show him some love on social media so that he'll want to come back and hang out with us on a Missed Apex panel in the future. And to get a current F1 communications officer into the shed on a podcast, that felt unobtainable. So that was that was something a little bit special for us here in in shed content land and of course it was fantastic to go and catch up with chester there is a growing f1 community in china they don't seem to have any kind of formal representation or production there and and chester is a a talented guy and it looks like he's going to be right at the front of riding a wave of f1 content creation so i really hope we can get him on future panels and race reviews as well if you want to catch our doom scrolling patron show, that is for patrons only, it's not extra special secret content behind a paywall. It is worse content, but we do go into like personal stuff, ask the crew what they've been up to. It's a lot more relaxed. And of course, a lot of F1 stuff too. It's been getting generally good feedback. So although it's worse content, some people are enjoying it. We stream it live. We have the live chat room there as well. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash missed apex you get a special link so that you put that into your podcast search bar and it brings up the patron only feed which is ad free and includes all these extra doom scrolling ones but you'll also get emailed the link to the live stream and the video version of that too and that's about all so if you're not a patron if you're like oh they're kind of okay to listen to but uh, not enough to support i get you i feel you the next time we will see you then will be 8 p.m. after the British Grand Prix. 8 p.m. UK time will hit stream. Who's on the panel? We've got Brad and Ellen joining us and Matt. We'll bring Matt, I suppose. Oh, you might see me a little earlier. I think I'm going to be wandering around Silverstone for Friday, practice one, practice two. So if you spot me, come and say hi. Until next time, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. You probably don't know what I look like. Uh, Kind of like a Malteser with a rubbish moustache beard set. Should I wear a Mist Apex hat? Would that make it easier? See ya. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.